following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You'd open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 16. you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some in the pews. We're going to read Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone wishes to be my disciple, three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Those aren't suggestions. Those aren't If you feel like doing these things, then you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. These are three commands that he gives us. And it's a call here because what Jesus is talking about here is being a true disciple. Not a follower of Jesus' teaching. Not somebody who is taking what they like of what Jesus says to love one another and put their own spin on what loving one another is. But a true disciple is one who denies themselves, who takes up their cross and then enacts what Jesus lived out. Scriptures are very clear that there are those who call themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ when they are deceiving themselves. In Matthew 7, he says, on that day, the day of judgment, on that great day, there will be many, not a few, not a group of a hundred, many, 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 a lot of people will come to Him and their name wasn't in the book of life. And they'll say, whoa, 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 wait. Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we proclaim You? We did all these things in Your name. Wasn't I a disciple of Yours? And Jesus says, no. Because I did not know You. You did these great works for Your own cause. Not for me. Therefore, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. First John, he's writing, he says, there were many who have left us, who have wandered away from the church. But he says, they were never really one of us. Because if they had been, they would not have left. There is a distinction between a 
follower of Jesus' teaching and a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who continues on the path of righteousness is He who is saved. So when we look at this, and this little verse, I think there's 16 words in here, and the amount of information that God poured out this week, I don't know how many times I've read this verse, how many times I've quoted this verse, but then you just take these 16 words and focus on them. It's amazing. But in order to truly grasp what he's saying by these three commands, these three points that we have to do if we want to be a true disciple, is to get it within its full context of what he is saying. And if you look just above this, this is where Peter gives the great confession. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? I want to get a feel for the, for the, for the crowd. What are, the, what are they saying? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And Peter says, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And what does he say? He goes, God reveals that to you. And upon that truth, I will build my church. The truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter turns around and it says, And then Jesus began to teach them that he must suffer, die, and be raised again. So it's not like he just said, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. He says, I'm going to be raised again. And what does Peter do? Jesus, come here. I'm not going to let you do that. I don't want you to suffer. I forbid it. I'm not going to allow it to happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Why? Does he say it? Because he says, What you are doing is a stumbling block to me because I have a purpose in which I am fulfilling. And you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You get that? What you are doing is connected to the things of man, not the things of God. And then if you look at the verses following, starting in verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. When you look at the, the context of what He is saying... He is giving us the first insight, the first point of this, because it's how we are to perceive this call of God, 
that command to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you have to have an eternal perspective. You cannot think like man, but have the vision of what God is doing. You have to understand that we are working alongside of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for not my glory, Christ's glory. Let your works shine so brightly before man that what? Your Father who is in heaven is glorified. In order to first be a disciple of Christ, I need to understand that I am an eternal being. Paul says that this flesh that I am in is nothing but a tent that will pass away. But who I and you truly are will live in eternity. But there's a choice, isn't there? We can either live eternally with God or have eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. Because that's what the Gospel message is. And that's the choice. But to be that understanding, he says you need to have an eternal perspective. So he says the first command is to deny oneself. And what does that mean? To deny oneself. Does it mean I I don't really exist? But yes, the Gnostics were, materialism is bad, it's all spiritual, so therefore... We, we shun everything. Does it mean that we become ascetic priests where we run around naked and we're searching and starving ourselves to find enlightenment? That's not what God is saying when He says to deny oneself. To deny oneself literally means to strongly reject are utterly refusing to recognize the original source involved, which means we deny ourselves not in our existence, but of our passions and our desires. Because it, it, it comes down to two basic questions. Do you believe there is God? There is a triune God creator of the heavens and the earth. And all that is in existence is by His hand. Do you believe that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God? Do you believe that the words of Scripture are His words given to us through man and given us a way of life and of salvation? To deny oneself says that it's no longer my will, it's no longer my desire because I believe there is somebody greater. I understand that I am weak. Because if God created this, then there must be something beyond this. And if there is something beyond this, and something greater than me, then I want to be a part of it. And if I want to be a part of it, is there something I need to do in order to be a part of it? And Jesus says, yes, there is. To all the above. And the first thing is to say, not my will. Jesus Himself said it the night before He died. 
If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who says, Lord, I have desires. I have goals in my life. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I'd like to do this for a living. I want to have a house, two and a half kids, a dog, a cat, three cars. Whatever it is, we all have these these ideas of what makes a complete life. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? But it is to say, take me where you will take me, Lord. I am surrendering my life, my desires, my goals to you. You are the potter. I am nothing but the clay. Spin me, mold me, form me into what you want me to be. Because as I surrender my life to God, then it becomes aligned to His way. And He will take me where He wants me to be, and there is peace when I am where I where. He wants me to be. The writer of Ecclesiastes is writing, and he says that we toil all day under the sun. And riches and wealth are not a bad thing. But to understand that they come from God. And He empowers us to enjoy them. The difference between an eternal perspective and a temporal one is where we have our focus. Because if it's on fame and fortune, if it's on relationships, if it's on stature, we have a temporal perspective. And we're going to be limited in the way that God wants to use us. Or how we can use us, if He will use us at all. We have to be available to God. And the way we're available is surrendering ourselves. It's interesting because at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who understand they are spiritually bankrupt without God. Once we understand we are nothing without God, and we empty ourselves before Him, then the kingdom is ours. And all that comes with the kingdom of heaven is at our disposal. And the first point I want to say is, in order for one to live for Christ, one must want to live for Christ. If you're going to live for Christ, then you must want to live for Christ. Jesus said in chapter 10, he goes, or later in this section, he's saying, are you willing to forsake all for my sake? If you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. An eternal perspective asks this question of God. 
Search me. Know me. Try me. Test me. Put me through the run. Put me through the ringer to let me see. Let me see if there's be any wicked way within me because then I know what I must do. Where must I die to myself? Because if there are things in my life where I am not releasing them, I'm not surrendering them to God, then I have not denied myself, but rather I am walking in my own path, my own strength, my own ideals, not God's. So he says, firstly, we must deny ourselves. The second, he says, take up your cross. And the cross is often depicted as a bridge between fallen man and God. Have you ever seen those pictures? Where there's a, there's a, there's a hole, there's a, a canyon, a, a, a ravine, and here's fallen man and here's God, and there's no way to get across. Evil can evil can't even make that jump. But then the next slide shows there's a cross that comes in and it fits beautifully between the ravine and fallen man can walk across the, cro- the walk across the cross and find harmony with God because of the work of what Jesus did. The cross is such a powerful symbol in society. You see a cross, there's no denying who it represents. You see a cross and it leads you to Christ. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, you see a cross, it leads you to Jesus. And it either leads you to a place of understanding of what He has done, and then all of a sudden the heart becomes soft and it becomes pliable for the Holy Spirit to do a work. Or it starts to get hardened and you mock it and you deny it and you curse it. But either way, it points to Jesus. And Jesus says to take up one's own cross. I can't pick up my kids' cross. They have to pick up their own. I'm busy carrying my own. Because it's big. There's a lot to get on that cross. And Luke says we've got to pick it up daily because it's the mental action that each true disciple makes to solidify their belief that Jesus is the Lord of their life and His words are true. The cross symbolizes our relationship with God and with others, thus the vertical and the horizontal but it also brings to mind some very important realities about our, su- our relationships. The first is the cross represents suffering and death. Like I said, when you see the cross, what does it remind you of? What Jesus did on our behalf. Right? The suffering and the death that He took upon Himself. Taking up one's cross is to declare a willingness to die to one's own passions, one's own lusts, the thoughts and actions that take us away from our relationship with God. Those things that break fellowship with God. 
It is being willing to give up everything, including our life if called upon. To take up our cross means to allow the Holy Spirit to go through all of our files, to open up our hard drive, to go through our house to inspect every inch of it, and nothing is, is, is closed. It's all laid bare before Him. And going to the cross may mean losing some friendships, changing a job, activities that don't coincide with God's holiness. Dying to oneself is hard. It's a difficult process. There's pain, there's suffering. Not just in the agony of hanging on the cross. That's what Jesus did. And you know that they did crucifixion because A, it was very painful. And two, it was humiliating. Because they did it right where everybody was going to come through the road and they'd look and they'd know and they would see and they would mock you. Going to the cross is a difficult thing. But it's, for us, we're not hanging on the cross physically, right? But we're called to take up our cross, to die to ourselves. And as I was going through this and the idea of, of what the cross and the suffering and sin and temptation and everything that, that it represents, it brought me to the understanding because crucifixion is dying by suffocation. They did it in such a way that the weight of your body started to, to close down your lungs and you had to keep yourself propped up in order to gasp for air. And eventually, you'd lose your, your, your strength and you would die. When we struggle through temptation, when we're battling through sin, and it starts to just overtake us, oftentimes it can feel like we're being suffocated, that the asphyxiation is, is taking over. There's a bag put over our head, and it's just getting tighter and tighter, and it's gasping for air. I don't know if you've ever gone to the beach and just either been boogie boarding or diving into the waves, but then the waves come crashing down. I know there have been times in my life where I go in and all of a sudden it's like I'm in and I'm coming up. And because I'm under, I don't realize there's another wave coming. And I come up and just as my head comes up, bam, another wave just slams over me and knocks me into the water. And there's this that rolling around. And all of a sudden I'm just like, you know, you didn't even really get up to get another breath. So now all of a sudden you're down and you're getting spun around and all of a sudden it's like, which way do I swim? Am I going, it's California waters are black, so it's like, you can't look for the sun, can you? And it's just, which way do I go? And all of a sudden it's just like, and that is how it is. If we're struggling with, with temptation or with sin, and all of a sudden it just starts to overtake us. And God says, I don't want that for you. I want you to come to me. I want you to rid yourselves of those things because sin will overtake you. You cannot play with sin. You must let it go. Writer of Hebrews says what? He says to throw it off. That sin which so easily entangles us. 
to get rid of it. For the young folks that are here today, you're going to have many temptations, peer pressure, things that are, are going to single people too, you know. There are all these temptations that are going to be hitting you from your peers. It's like, why aren't you dating somebody? Are you dating them? Have you slept with them yet? Why not? Uh, I'm in the fifth grade. But, I mean, it, it, it's reality. I've got kids from middle school to college now, and going through that whole gambit, it's just like, I am, I'm shocked at what goes on, how young it goes on. But there are these temptations that are out there that you have to be able to stand strong against. You know, I'm in the, the prime of my middle age. And I've been single for 12 years. And there are times for me when I see couples that they're having fun and they're, they're in love. And it's just like, you know, thank God. I've got Ramona, my, my Boston Terrier. But it's just, yeah, it's just like, Obviously not the same, you know? She doesn't speak my language. And, and it's an interesting thing because it's just this, there's the desire to be in a relationship, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? I want it to be your relationship, not mine. I have a friend that always bugs me about, you know, why don't you do the dating sites? And I'm like, it's not for me. Because I look at it this way. If God is going to bring me my wife, He will bring me my wife. I trust that He will do it in His way. I don't need to help God. He, he, he can do it on His own. But it's just having that perspective of I'd rather, do, I'd rather be single the rest of my life and miss who God had for me than to choose wrongly, because I've already done it, and, and face the consequences of it. I've learned from my mistakes to where it's, you know what? I'm tired of doing it my way. Let me just do it your way. I just want to be blessed with contentment and peace. And really, going to the cross is where the rubber meets the road. Because if we have a true belief in Christ, then we will continue to go to the cross. doesn't matter how many times it hurts, or how badly it hurts, or what He's calling us to die to. There's a reason why He calls us to take up our cross. 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15, He says, For the love of Christ controls us, and having concluded this, that the One, Jesus, died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, Jesus, who died and rose again on their behalf. 
He died and rose again so that we, in following Him, would not live for ourselves, but live for Him. Because our faith is in Him. And the second point is one cannot live for Christ if they do not pick up their cross. In Matthew 10.38, He says, If any man does not take up his cross and follow Me, he is not worthy of Me. But the cross, it brings not only with it pain and suffering, not only does it bring about death, what else does the cross represent? What came after Good Friday? Resurrection Sunday. Whenever there's a a Good Friday, it's going to be followed by Resurrection Sunday. Where there is death, there is a new life. Where we surrender to God, there is empowerment by the Holy Spirit. So, when God is saying, I want you to give me this part of your life, I want you to die to this activity. Yeah, it may be hard. It's a tough road to get up to Calvary, but just know that you get there, you get to that cross, there will be a resurrection Sunday. But on the flip side, you can't get to resurrection Sunday without going through Good Friday. A lot of people want to jump the gun and just go right over here because this hurts. You know, I just want to do the surgery. I don't want to go through the weight training and the... The, the diet and everything. Just give me that magic pill and I'll be woo. You can't get to Sunday without Friday. But Friday is special. And this leads me to the third point. Which is to follow Christ. His third command. And to follow Christ is this. To live for Christ is to obey Christ. When he says to follow me, it means to be wholly conformed to his example. The way that he lived, the way he conducted, to be obedient to his commands, to take the word of God as the word of God, and this is how I will live my life. It says don't sleep with people outside of marriage, I won't sleep with people outside of marriage. It says don't get drunk, I won't get drunk. Don't put any vile thing before you. I won't put any vile thing before me. I will seek to be as Christ. If you love me, you will obey my commands, he says. Because humanity is not an excuse for sin. Humanity is a cause for sin. It's not an excuse for sin. And to humanize God is wrong. It's wrong theology to say God created me this way, therefore it must be okay. He is love, therefore it's alright. No. The Bible is very clear. And to try and humanize God to our way of thinking is wrong because He's not human. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
We go to him. We don't bring him down to us. A true disciple walks after him. Because I look at his teachings and I conform my way to his teachings, not try to conform his teachings to my way of thinking. That is not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our aim should be perfection. Be holy as I am holy, thus says the Lord. Our aim is for perfection. Will we hit it in this lifetime? No. But that doesn't mean we don't strive for it. I get so upset with my kids because they come home with not-so-stellar grades. And I go, what the heck? What, what, what happened? And their response is, I passed. What do you, what, what's wrong? I passed. And it's like, you call that a passing grade. The school might say that's a passing grade. I don't see it as a passing grade. But if that's our... And, and, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> the, the, the idea of so many young people today is just that, though. It's an entitled thought process that I don't have to work for anything. I don't have to strive after because it should just be handed to me. It's okay to scrape by. And that idea can slip into our theology and say, you know what? I will play with fire. I will do as I want to do because before I die, thinking I will live however long, and then I will repent and I will be okay. The longer one plays with fire, the one plays with sin and tempts God the harder one's heart gets. And the likelihood of repenting before you die becomes more and more remote. So to think that one can play with fire and not get burned, both literally and figuratively, is a scary prospect. We ought to seek holiness. To seek out the things of God and to apply them to our life. And I will, uh, the worship team can come up. I'm going to conclude with this and two things. First, there's a, a, a verse in Galatians 2.20 which really formulates this whole process of these three commands succinctly in one verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have picked up my cross in essence. And it is no longer I who live because I've denied myself, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Our life is based on faith. We're not saved by faith. Faith is the avenue. We are saved by grace through faith. So to live by faith is because I have received the grace of God. 
I did not get what I deserved. He gave me something else. Let me, an example would be, I go to Javier and I give him a $100 bill. I'm just gifting him with a $100 bill. He receives that in faith that I gave him a real $100 bill. So that he goes out and in faith he takes it and he spends it. Trusting that it would be a legitimate tender. We receive the gospel. We receive life-giving grace of God by faith. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who died for me, paid my penalty for sin, and in return, I'm giving Him my life. It is His to take because He is giving me something far greater. Far greater than I could ever do. There's a promise that is written in Psalms. In Psalm 37. I think they have it for the screen. In verse 4, He says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. But the key to that is to delight yourself in the Lord. Because when we deny ourselves, that we seek first the kingdom of God. When we take up our cross and die to our own selfishness, and we take upon the Word of God and we meditate upon it, then His desires become our desires. They are the desires of our heart. And He grants those desires. But we must first choose to surrender our lives to God. We must first surrender all to Him. Every part of us. And what He gives us back It's so wonderful. Far exceeding anything we can imagine. Ephesians says that His love is beyond... Really, you can't even describe it. Paul says it's so high, it's so deep, it's so wide. It blows your mind. And that is what God offers each and every believer. But it's a commitment. It's a process to live for Christ. To die is gain because I go to Christ. But to live is Christ because I live for Him. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning.
And I thank You. I thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we even have the strength to believe and to walk what we believe. I pray today that each of us take some time and as the psalmist says, search me. Head to toe. Fingertip to fingertip. Test me. Try me. Know me. See if there be any wicked way within me. Because I want to be yours. I want to be wholly yours. Do with me what you will. Not my will, but your will be done. Move through us individually so that you can move through us corporately. Set this city on fire. Spiritually, use us in such a way, Father, that the lives around us are impacted just by the way that we speak, the way we interact, the way we present Jesus Christ to the world. Oh, I thank You, Lord. I praise You. We give You glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages, or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.